0: Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. The podcast will feature interviews with prominent industry figures and will discuss their personal experiences of progression, share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them and much more. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere. I'm Andrew Beard, and I'd like to welcome you to a special launch edition of the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast. Today, our main focus will be on progressing lives during business change. And along the way, we will also be discussing how we can build a better future for business. Finally, we will hear how progressing lives in the business world can make society as a whole a better place. We have chosen these subjects to launch the series as in 2020, they have never been more relevant. Since the COVID-19 pandemic hit the world, businesses have been turned upside down in almost all aspects, catapulting them overnight into a business change situation. Gallup sums this up perfectly when they say, COVID-19 has disrupted the world. It is dramatically altering how people live, interact and do business. For now, it is changing everything. So with COVID-19 presenting ongoing challenges across the world, many businesses continue to face an uncertain future, meaning the need for change and innovation remains critical. Leading others effectively through change can be difficult, however. Change can bring fear and anxiety as employees face the unknown. And the business history books are full of once great companies that could not adapt and change as needed to new business realities so how do we ensure we progress lives during business change in this episode we will hear different perspectives on this we will hear from business executives in hr and operations one of the top 100 business speakers in britain and a psychological skills coach who has worked with paralympic athletes as well as offering their advice on how to successfully deliver business change they will all discuss how we can build a better future for business. We cover a wide variety of topics today, ranging from the process of psychological contracting to hearing about a Covid lockdown story with a difference. And finally, we will hear from the number 3 CEO in the world, Bob Chapman, who, amongst other things, will talk about how it is his belief that by being people-focused and therefore progressing lives, businesses can help improve society as a whole. So. We hope you enjoyed this edition, and now let's progress to meeting our first guest. So I'm joined now by Jeff Brough. Jeff is an independent business consultant specialising in leadership, people management, team building, peak performance, and recruitment and retention. He's also listed in the 100 best business speakers in Britain. Jeff, thanks very much for taking part in our progression initiative. My pleasure, Andrew. I'd like to discuss with you business change failure rates, if possible. In your book, What You Need to Know About Leadership, you outline the Cotter eight-step process for change management. Now, I found that to be a very useful process myself, particularly in recent times. You also quote the well-known statistic that 75% of all change management initiatives fail. In an article I was reading recently, I was discussing this topic and it went on to say, as leaders and consultants, we need to be aware that our team members are not entering change situations with a blank slate. Years of hearing about failure rates has planted the seeds of bias against success in our minds. So if you combine that with the fact that, as you mentioned in your book, that people are naturally resistant to change, it's not hard to see why business change failure rates can be so high. So a question I'll put to you is, what would you say are the three key steps to ensure a successful outcome to a
1: business change initiative? Well, the first thing I think I'd say, Andrew, is that sometimes statistics can be misleading. But the reality is that looking at that figure of 75 percent of change initiatives fail is rather shocking. But if you look behind the stats, what it means is 75 percent of change initiatives fail to deliver all that they set out to achieve. So consequently, within that 75% of failures, there is a number of partial successes. But I think you're right when you talked about people don't have a clean slate. People have seen and witnessed change initiatives that have failed. And as a result, they're quite cynical. And you may get some sort of shop steward types within a company saying, keep your head down. The leadership team will grow bored with this. They won't see it through. So certainly there's a history in terms of doing that for three key tips to make it work. I would say it's almost simply communicate, communicate, communicate. There is a, a book by an American author called The Champions of Change. And he said, if you want to get buy in, if you want to get traction, then what you need to do is to communicate at least three times in each of three different ways i.e. three times three, nine pieces of communication. And in many cases, what you'll find is the business leader starts the, a change program with one very impressive piece of communication, use of PowerPoint, etc But they don't tend to keep that communication going during the change initiative. So very important to get buy-in. And by getting buy-in, it's about really getting people to recognize. The benefit of change. And if you like, um, a communication checklist will be first of all, what is going to happen, when it's going to happen, and how it's going to happen. The trouble is, though, many business leaders miss out on the most important element why are we doing this? Are we doing this to improve our service to the customer? Are we doing this to be more efficient? Are we doing this to be more profitable? Are we doing this to make life easier for ourselves? So in many cases, we need to address the why. Another thing we need to communicate is what's not going to change? Because people believe that we're gonna throw out the baby with the bathwater, and therefore what we might need to do is to communicate that our company's values won't change, the importance we place on the close-client relationships won't change, but the way we deliver these will change and the third area really is communicating the consequences of doing nothing. What will be the implications for the business if we don't change if we put our heads in the sand so I think they're the three key elements it needs leadership commitments and also it needs us to a deal with resistance because undoubtedly there will be some pockets of resistance within the business. Where we're trying to bring about you know change which will benefit the organization
0: yeah thank you for that i think the everyone i've spoken to about this communication has, has come up uh, and to such a point that i'll probably do another initiative following this specifically on that communication piece so i've no doubt that that's absolutely fundamental i really like the point actually about what's not going to change so i guess even within that then the uncertainty about what is changing that can counterbalance it a bit in terms of these things aren't going to be changing so you don't need to feel insecure about these particular
1: areas so i think that's that's right because change creates uncertainty change creates instability and what you want to do is to give people something to cling on to and therefore you know really reiterating some of the key elements that won't change is is, is critical in that communication program And then.
0: What would be your pay it forward advice to business leaders post-pandemic so that we can
1: continue to try and make the business world a better place? Well, I don't think it's a matter of what they should be doing at the end. I think it's what they should be doing now. Now, over the years, I've interviewed a number of business leaders. But one business leader that really left a deep impression was the former head of MO5, Dame Stella Rimmington. And Dame Sarah Remington said, in no uncertain terms that leaders have no right to be involved in the day- to- day. She said it was the responsibility of leaders to create a management infrastructure that dealt with the day- to- day and she said the role of the leader was to look up, look ahead at the challenges and opportunities that might lie ahead in the future and it's my observation that too many leaders get stuck in the day-to-day. And what they do need to be doing is looking over the horizon and try and make maybe some prediction of what the post-crisis future may well look like. Because a point that I would say to all leaders is that you will be judged over the next six months or so by the decisions you make and the actions that you take. And I find that many business leaders do not create sufficient time nor um, uh, opportunity to think and reflect about what the future might hold. A good client of mine uh, some years ago said something that left a a lasting impression. He was the chief exec of of a leasing business, and he had about 260 employees. And I went to meet him for lunch one day. And I looked through the glass front of his office and uh, he, uh, he was lying on a chaise lounge. He kicked off his shoes. His eyes were closed and he was leaning back on the chaise lounge and his fingers were in the shape of a steeple. So uh, I knocked gently on the door and I said, sorry to disturb you, Mike, but uh, we've got a lunch engagement. And uh, I said, I'm sorry to disturb your nap. Now, he took great umbrage at this and he said, uh, I have 260 people and their families that rely upon me making the best possible decisions. He said, I wasn't sleeping, I was thinking. And I think that's a good advice. Yes, as leaders, we need to be visible, at the moment, probably virtually visible, but what we need to do is to be making the best possible decisions and for that basis, we need to create time and space to think and reflect, to take counsel, to gain information in order that we do
0: that. Great. I've always enjoyed the anecdotes. They're really well delivered. They're always fascinating, but actually fundamentally, they are very practical and, and usable. So there's another one I've not previously heard. So that's great. I'll, I'll plan planning some, some thinking slash napping times for, for next week. definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff, thank you very much for for taking the time to take part in the initiative. I I know that our community will really appreciate the the input you provided. I certainly have. So all the best to yourself, of course. And uh, yeah, we we look forward to to speaking again. Uh, Absolute pleasure. Chris Hart is an independent specialist in turnaround, business transformation and consultancy services. He's held roles up to CEO level, and currently on behalf of Emoria Bond, he's leading the business transformation for a food manufacturing organisation. Chris, firstly, thanks very much for agreeing to take part in our initiative. I wanted to start with uh, business transformation. What are your top three tips for leading a company through business transformation?
2: I think there's a number of things you have to do, but the top three tips, I would say, the first thing is you have to understand the issues very, very quickly that the the business uh, is experiencing. The second thing is you you must engage the people very, very quickly by communicating well, understanding uh, by department how that function is affecting the overall results. And the third thing is obviously I would say the most important one is to lead by example. Do what you say you will do and actually make sure that you keep to the commitments that that you've uh, promised.
0: Great, thank you. Well, on the subject of leading by example, uh, another term for that would be role modeling. Now, that's something that I'm very, very passionate about myself, and I believe is a fundamental aspect of leadership. I learned recently that in the assignment that you're in currently, as the, the Netherlands went into its version of lockdown, the, the intelligent lockdown, that you yourself and the HR director, you didn't actually lock yourself down at home, like almost all of the working population did, you actually took the decision to lock yourselves down next to the site so that you could continue to go on site every day and continue the work of the transformation. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Yeah, well, in any transformation, it's about injecting pace, energy and ownership into the business. You know, some of these businesses have been um, very stagnant for a long time. So in the first months, we, we achieved the momentum. We believe that We had to continue with the way that we are working and basically the way that we're acting is what we expect of our people. So we decided uh, for the needs of the business in this particular transformation in a a very different time of COVID-19 to lock ourselves down and make ourselves available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. If we're expecting our people to come to work on a regular basis in such times when they're experiencing um, uh, fear as an infection and all the outside world issues that are going on then and we, we expect them to deal with that then we should expect that of ourselves so we decided uh, to lead by example and it was very greatly received by the, the workforce and the uh, management team here so we locked ourselves down for a period of almost three months until the restrictions were lifted in the Netherlands.
0: Wow that's it's a really I'd say in some ways extreme example of leading by example but nevertheless a brilliant example of, of role modeling and, and showing the way forward and you you mentioned it a little bit there but you feel there was a real benefit to what you did there and, and it had a big impact
2: yeah it kept the energy going in the business andrew and certainly the financial results of the business actually benefited on the bottom line the expectation of the shareholder was to see a different performance but we actually so an increase in performance and as far as the people are concerned, it helps us um, in building a very much a team, community and culture. Do you have any other
0: tips on, on role modelling that you'd
2: like to pay forward? I think role modelling is one of the most important things you can do, especially must muster in a transformation situation. It's about gaining trust and energy from the people. And if you're not prepared to get involved with the people and communicate well, then you'll never be successful. So role modeling for me is the number one recommendation I would have in any transformation process.
0: Great. Thank you. Final question. As we look to build a better future for business post-pandemic, what advice would you have to, to fellow business leaders in, in your field and, and beyond?
2: I would say that fellow be get involved. Don't panic at the moment with the current situation. COVID-19 will go away and it will be all about aligning to the future. So my advice would be to just stay in there, lead by example, and just build your business to continue to survive for the future.
0: Great. Chris, thank you very much for joining us and, and congratulations on a great, very successful assignment so far. Thanks, Andrew. I'm joined now by Otto Goods. Otto is an independent HR director specialising in business transformation. He's worked in organisations in manufacturing, process industries and business services. He's currently leading a business transformation for a food manufacturing organisation. Otto, thanks for agreeing to take part in our initiative. On the subject of business transformation, what would you say your top three tips would be to a company that is going through a business transformation currently?
3: Um, Andrew, well, that's quite a difficult question to answer. Just a few words. I've gone through this transformation process of many different companies, uh, and I think there are three or four topics that always pop up and will require quite some attention from uh, a transformation manager perspective. I think it also depends on where you are and in which cultural environment you have to operate. But for example, within Europe, uh, there are three or four major topics that always pop up that uh, I would like to highlight to you. Mm-hmm. It's, first of all, it's decisiveness. Uh, a lot of companies um, have difficulties in making difficult decisions moving forward, more or less looking for a compromise, which is not always the best answer, uh, and giving the, the added value that you're looking for. So it's decisiveness. Prioritizing topics on the agenda, what needs to be done now and what can be done tomorrow. That's another one. Uh, normally, a lot of managers have the tendency to focus on too many topics at one time, uh, which will not bring the added value that you're looking for at the end of the day as the uh, attention is too scattered on uh, on on uh, too many topics. So focus. Uh, the third one is to communi- communicate when you are going through a through transformation process. That's, of course, very difficult for many companies without the external support. It's an outsider looking in brings the difference that will bring the added value that you're looking for which is very important when you have to communicate also what's going on to get involvement and engagement not only from management and middle management but also from the employees uh, who always come up with the same question what's in it for me how will the transformation impact my position my future with the company and you have to be very clear regarding this and some companies really ditch the subject and then save the 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 worst part also for the last moment to inform uh, their employees. Creating a lot of unrest in the time in between, which you have to manage as well, uh, which is an extra burden on the agenda. And of course, it it can also create a flight risk for those people leaving the company uh, earlier than you anticipated. And, And always the talent people will go first to avoid this. I think it's important to get the engagement and involvement of people by simply communicating what you're doing. And at the end of the day, at least as my experience, people do appreciate the honesty and the openness and and, in your communication and the transparency that you are providing. So I think those are the major topics that are key key critical in a transformation process to pay attention to.
0: Right. Thank you. Yeah, that that word communication comes up all the time whenever I talk about business transformation or, or read about it. Particularly in current time, I read something the other day with a CEO of a 12,000 employee organization globally saying I'm, I'm leading the daily communication briefings at the moment for the whole organization because I want everyone to hear the message direct from me. But I also want them to know that the messages that their leaders are giving them are, you know, I'm fully on board with it and I'm supporting it. So So communication. Yeah, absolutely central. Thank you very much for that. In terms of moving forward and, and, and under the subject of building a better future for business. Now, clearly, HR has a, a, a pivotal role to play in, in taking any business forward and, and building a great business. What would your advice be to, to business leaders post pandemic as we look to, to build a
3: better future for business? Yeah, first of all, we need to step away from the old school uh, conservative a way of thinking and also the side of thinking that HR is has a supporting role. In the time it evaluated from a supporting role into a, well, let's say a business partner, that's the most common uh, expression that I come across, but actually I would upgrade it to the business enabler and I think that's exactly what we are, we are a business enabler. Uh, and why are we a business enabler? We with the right people on the right in the right seats, with the right capabilities and competencies for the right duration. That will make an organisation successful. Keeping people too long in the seat, uh, not developing people to the and, and, and providing a career path, is is killing. Ex- Especially for the the younger generations who are now stepping up and taking over, they have a totally different scope, and we need to be aware of it. And and when you are aware of it, you can achieve great successes with those elements, which are really crucial to make HR the business enabler of the company.
0: Great, that's some great advice. Thank you very much for that. Again, thanks very much for taking part in our initiative. I know that our community will will benefit from the from the tips that you passed on there. So my pleasure. Thank you, thank you so much. So, Turning out to look at the role psychology can play in business change, I'm joined by David Warner. David is a psychological skills coach specialising in performance, well-being and happiness. David, thanks very much for taking part in our progression initiative. No problem. I wanted to talk to you about the role psychological contracting can play in business change. On this topic I read recently that one organisation who manufactures safety critical equipment calculated they had saved over 100 million dollars in legal costs due to this strategy of psychological contracting with employees and their customers. So my first question for you would be, what role do you
4: see that psychological contracting can play in a business change process? I think to answer that question, the first thing to do would be to just define what we mean by psychological contracting. We're all aware of what the contract between the employee and the employer is, the written piece of paper that both parties sign. But there's another process that goes on, and this probably starts even before the employee is employed. In in fact, maybe even from the point of the job advert through to the interview, through to employment, and that is the unwritten contract of how the arrangement, how the relationship between the employee and the employer will work. And this is often based around things like hours of work, flexibility around hours of work, unwritten rules around things like promotions or incentive schemes, and just a general sense of fairness. And also, I would say, the employee buying into the culture of of the organisation. So, you know, the organization might sell a vision of a culture that the employee wants to work for. They want to buy into that sort of that culture. So that's the sort of definition of a psychological contract. OK, thank you. How would leaders go about undertaking this with their teams
0: right now? So what practical steps could they take today in order to, to put this into
4: practice? yeah so that psychological contract is formed as i said at the point of employment and so there's this unwritten understanding often unconscious as well between employer and employee about how things are going to work and that is constantly being updated as the relationship continues and what we often find is when major events come along that psychological contract can be broken so for example a new leader in the organization or in a team, a a corporate takeover. Um, And of course, most recently, a pandemic. These kinds of things start to change the rules. And the issue there is once the psychological contract becomes broken, the employee is likely to become disengaged, become disengaged from the process of, of working there. And this can start to have negative consequences. And of course, this can also lead to big retention issues. So for an employer, it's really important to be aware of the psychological contract, to be aware of how this is formed and to constantly check in with the employee to ensure that each individual employee is feeling connected with the organisation as change occurs. And I think in this recent pandemic, that's particularly important where, you know, some of the rules have changed, some of the rules of employment have changed, some of the rules of how people work have changed. And for some people, it will suit them very well, and for others, it won't suit them very well. But it's really important that leaders are checking in with each employee as an individual to continue to make sure that that psychological contract is maintained. And if it is broken or breaking, that they work with the individual to try to reestablish that contract.
0: Okay, so so what I'm hearing there is in any conditions, regular follow up, regular check in to see how that, that relationship is going. But then, Sounds like business change in itself can be a quite a significant catalyst in in the dynamics of a psychological contract changing. So that that really is a key moment to be looking at
4: a psychological contract process. Yeah, I think when businesses change, you know, maybe the the way the organisation works changes, and if someone has sort of signed up to work in a certain way under a certain culture, and then that culture or just the way of working changes, that unwritten contract that's maybe not even consciously recognised may be broken and that's where issues can start to start to uh, occur and that's where leaders need to just be aware of each of each person's individual needs.
0: Yeah it's a really interesting subject this and, and on this topic I read a quote from Daniel Goldman recently which stated a leader's task is a primal one to articulate a message that resonates with their followers emotional reality With their sense of purpose and so to move people in a positive direction. In a climate of uncertainty, primal leadership becomes more important than ever because people need a leader who lends an air of certainty. So should we see psychological contracting as a fundamental part of this in a way, a fundamental part of this primal leadership, so in in a sense appealing to some of our basic psychological needs?
4: Yeah, I think that's a really important point. You know, People, like I said before, they buy into the culture of an organisation at the point of employment, so they understand what they're buying into. And, you know, they're signing up partly on a sort of values basis of, of what they believe in and partly on a sort of emotional basis of their own emotional needs. Now, if that changes as businesses change, it's really important that leaders engage with that and understand that employees are looking for things like fairness for example and also to buy into the culture of the organization so as the culture of the organization shifts as rules change and things change if if employers and leaders are not checking in on how an employee is feeling in terms of things like, are they being treated fairly? Is the organisation acting fairly? Is the culture still in line with the values of the employee? If they don't do those things, they don't check in on those things, then we're likely to lose the employee, either lose their engagement or potentially lose them as as an employee. Yeah, and we all know what repercussions that can have on a company's bottom line is is a retention
0: challenge. Thank you very much for that, very interesting. And finally, what would your advice be to leaders to help them build a better future for business?
4: I think there's a couple of things I'd like to say about that. I think one of the things that's going on at the moment, of course, with the we're sort of coming out of the end of the lockdown with the pandemic, we've had an opportunity to look at doing things differently. And, you know, some some aspects of this have really worked. And I would really ask leaders and employers and organisations to look at the lessons that they can learn from how we've done things differently. So I would ask people to look at what has worked and what can we do better? What can we do better in the future from the lessons learned, both for our clients and customers and for our employees? So that's one, one thing I'd just like to say. Mm. I think the second thing is, you know, having worked myself in many big organizations where employees are often treated as sort of one homogenous group, treat people as individuals, understand each individual's needs. It's, you know, talk to and engage with individuals so that you can really understand what they want out of their employment. Because if you can do that, going back to the psychological contract before, you know, if you can engage people in the culture and in a belief that they're being treated fairly and equitably, then you're likely to get really high engagement and high engagement leads to high productivity. So, I think that's my sort of second message is just make sure we are treating everybody as an individual.
0: Yeah, great message. Thank you. Well, look, it's
4: clear psychology
0: has a big part to play in in progressing lives and and particularly in, in the business world. So thanks for sharing your insights. And again, thanks for taking part in the initiative.
4: No problem. Thanks very
0: much. big thanks to all of our guests for taking part in this podcast. There have been many great pieces of advice shared today, and I was really inspired in particular with the lockdown story and the impact that has had. However, the one thing that's really stood out to me is just how critical effective communication is in order to progress lives during business change. And finally, we're about to hear from the number three ranked CEO in the world, Bob Chapman. Bob has led Barry Waymiller for more than 40 years, which in itself is a truly remarkable achievement. He has guided the now 2.4 billion global manufacturing technology and engineering consulting company through extraordinary expansion and change. Along the way, Bob developed a remarkable approach to his leadership of Barry Waymiller's more than 11,000 team members around the world. Everybody matters. This philosophy generated a best-selling book And a highly successful leadership training program the bw leadership institute it's an excellent book and i would highly recommend it leadership expert marcel schwantes of leadership from the core selected his top 10 ceos based on corporate leaders who embrace servant leadership and made a positive impact on business society and the future of work he commended bob for transforming his organisation into one focused on bringing out the best in its people through communication, trust, celebration, respect, continuous improvement and responsible freedom. Bob is one of my role models in business and is without doubt someone worth listening to. The Chapman Consulting Company kindly agreed to let us share two clips of Bob. The first is taken from an interview in April this year, which Bob gave during the early days of the pandemic and he's focusing on communication during times of uncertainty. Here, Bob is talking about how he's communicating to everyone in his business at this time on a weekly basis. He also goes on to offer some great advice for smaller businesses. Ultimately, this advice is applicable in any business climate, however. And finally, we will play my personal favorite clip of Bob, where he first shares his infamous wedding story followed by how he sees business can improve society as a whole. So thanks for listening. We will leave you today with Bob Chapman.
2: What is the responsibility of leadership to reduce anxiety? So what are the other things you think is critical for leadership
1: to do during this time to reduce people's anxiety?
5: I would say to you, I've seen, we have been, doing a video communication once a week where I basically shape the message and it goes out in 10 different languages around the world because we operate all over the world with our 12,000 people. And the emails I have seen come back where people just appreciate hearing you know, how the company's doing and what we're doing and why we're doing it directly from me. That reinforces what they're hearing from their leaders. So I would say to you, it amplifies in any situation of crisis, the need for thoughtful communication that understands the way people are feeling and communicates in an empathetic way and listens to them and helps them get through this together. Because this is a time when we need an amazing amount of empathy for the impact this makes on others, the insecurity it creates, the doubts, you know, the financial security. So communication and listening are amplified dramatically in times like this and shaping your message to show that you care. That is the most important thing I can say to anybody is to look at those people in your span of care as your precious children, just and treat them just like you would like your child treated to help them get through this together and feel cared for and heard and understand the feelings they may have in this period of time. I'll be in the question from the the audience. This is, I know this is a little bit more
1: of a, a difficult one. But if you think about your own journey and when Barry Waymuller is first starting, when it's a $20 million company, not the $3 billion global uh, organization it is today. So back then, it's not as diversified. Um, The cash reserves are not what they are. For someone, for a leader who either has not planned as well or for someone who doesn't have a diversified business model right now, what's your perspective? What's your
5: advice to them? First of all, it's a great time to look at how your business model is performing. You know, there's an expression, you need to get the right people on the bus. I think my version of that is you need to build a safe bus. Okay. And that individual asking the question may be in the process of trying to build a safe bus, but he doesn't have it fully integrated in a safe way. So the business model is the safe bus. And then you need drivers who know where they're going and how to get there safely to drive that bus, to drive that business model. So in the early days, what I would say to you is, you got to constantly look at the design of your business model and to make sure that you are, like your life, you're not building on any one pillar, and you're being as prudent as you can, as you can. And it's harder in a startup business right. than one with substance. But you got to constantly say, "Is my?" I always say when Ford builds an F-150, they go out and put it in the worst conditions they possibly can to make sure it holds up. Well, it. You need to look at your business model. How is it performing now? And what do you learn from this in terms of, as you come out of this, how you can refine that design to make it more resilient to the changes that inevitably happen in our economic environment. And again, I had, you know, 08, 09 was only the recent, you know, we had the dot-com meltdown, you know, we had the 87 stock market, crash. You know, we had high inflation. I have been through a lot of situations but again, our responsibility as leaders is to give those people who count on us this grounded sense of hope that we can get through this together. That is our responsibility every day when we come in, is to understand that people are going to be looking to us for hope and faith that we can get through this together. And it was amazing the gifts people will give you if you create an environment where they feel valued and part of the solution.
6: Let me go through a couple of the defining moments in my journey to to understand this leadership because it did not come from my education or my awareness of what's going on in this country. And it began with something that many of you will relate to, a wedding. I was sitting in a wedding, enjoying the splendor of this father walking this precious uh, daughter of his down the aisle and everybody enjoying uh, how beautiful she looked and how proud the father looked. You can all imagine that. And when they got up to the altar, He took the hand of this young lady, his daughter, and he gave it to this young man and said, you know, I give this young lady to be wed to this young man. Her mother and I give this daughter to be wed. Now, any of you who are parents who talked about the importance of their children know that is the ceremonial words they use, but that is not what was in the head and heart of that father and mother right then. What was in their head and heart was, look at young man, I'm going to trust you with this Precious human being that her mother and I brought into this world. We have given her unconditional love. And I expect you, through your union, to continue to allow her to be and grow to be whatever she was meant to be. That is what I expect of you. And what I've got from that is the realization is that all 7,000 of our team members were just as precious as that young lady. Every one of our team members was brought into this world by some mother and father who hoped the best for this precious young child that they brought into this earth. And that we as leaders, when we allow somebody to walk in our organization, we have an obligation as stewards of that life to continue to allow that life to be everything they were meant to be that we possibly can towards our common vision, whether they walk in the gate of this uh, Air Force Base or they walk in our organization. So I walked away saying, we can have a dramatic impact on this world if we accept the responsibility for that life that joined our organization and shared our gifts. The second story really had a profound impact on me. We had developed the ideas of continuous improvement and parallel with that, the ideas of people-centric leadership. We were having a management meeting up in our Green Bay operation, and somebody emailed me the night before and said, Bob, you might be aware a group of our team members went through this event for a large project in the plant to improve and, and, continuous, and employ continuous improvement ideas. You might want to walk out and recognize them. I said, why don't you invite them into the management meeting in the morning and we'll let them share their experience with all of us. So these three gentlemen were seven o'clock in the morning We invited into this executive management meeting and they stood before us as I stand before you and they shared with us the achievements of this project. They'd improved quality, cut lead time, reduced inventory, financially, everything was, and and shipped it on time. And, you know, the typical dialogue of an organization is all about numbers and performance and profits. I was blessed with a thought to ask this one gentleman, Steve, who I'd never met before, who was a valued member of our assembly team in the plant. I said the following. How did it affect your life? Now, this gentleman had never met before. He was called into this executive meeting, so he had no time to prepare his thoughts, so he told me the profound truth. His answer was, I'm talking to my wife more. And I said, I don't understand. What do you mean you're talking to your wife more? He said, do you know what it's like to be a part of an organization where you're going every day, you're told what to do, People don't ask you what you think. You get 10 things right, and you don't hear a word. And you get one thing wrong, and you never hear the end of it. Do you know what it feels like to go home at night from that environment? He said, you don't feel very good about yourself. And when you don't feel very good about yourself, you're not very nice to your wife. He said, since we've embraced this people-centric leadership, since we've embraced the idea of continuous improvement, where I have a chance to make my role better, to contribute my gifts, where people ask me what I think, for me to contribute to making things better, since we've done that, I go home feeling valued and better about myself. And when I go home feeling better about myself, I find I'm nicer to my wife. And believe it or not, when I'm nicer to my wife, she talks to me. What hit me suddenly was that the biggest number that I was gonna look for, the biggest measurable, was the reduction in the divorce rate of our employees. Now I wanna connect one final dot. I was hiking in the mountains with my 40-year-old daughter who has three children and a lady named Beverly. So Jennifer and Beverly and I were hiking with a group of people in the mountains. And I explained to my daughter that Beverly had a TV show in Dallas on Family counseling and family issues. So my daughter asked her what you would ask her, any of you with a family. She said, Beverly, what's the most important thing in raising good kids? Beverly thought a minute, and she said, a good marriage. She said, other things are important, but the most important thing in raising good kids is for them to see a loving relationship that's the foundation for their life. So that was the final dot. I realized that if if organizations would embrace the responsibility to send people home with a sense of fulfillment, a sense that what they do matters, they will be better husbands, better wives, they will have a better chance of dealing with the issues of marriage, of raising a family and getting along in this world if they feel good about themselves and they end up with a better relationship so their children will grow up seeing loving relationships And many of the issues we face in this country will dissipate because we will have organizations that truly care about the impact they make on the lives of the people that join them. That clearly said to me that we can change the world. We don't need the government or politicians or any organization. It is up to us the way we treat each other every day and the profound impact that makes on our life when we go home to know that our life matters.
0: Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Amoria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Amoria Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.